Welcome to Real Herbalism Radio, show 256, recorded at Big Dog Studios in Eugene, Oregon. This show is made possible by The Practical Herbalist. You'll find all you ever wanted to know about making plants a part of your daily life at The Practical Herbalist. Learn more at thepracticalherbalist.com. The intersection of modern medicine with the deep healing of the garden can produce the most amazing herbs and herbalists. Today we're talking with Erica Gallantin, clinical herbalist at Sovereignty Herbs, about finding the joy, the power, and the medicine along the garden path. Now here are your hosts. I'm Candace Hunter. I'm Patrick Hunter. And, and welcome, welcome to, to Real Herbalism, Herbalism Radio. Radio. Erica, welcome so very much. Oh, I'm really excited to be here. Thank you very much for having me. I am so happy that you said yes when I asked because we, I mean, we had our first taste of getting to hang out with you a little bit with the Herbs in Action Summit last spring, thanks to Maria Noel Groves, who said, hey, she's the one you want to talk to for aromatherapy. And she was so right. She's always right. She's so right. Yes. She's a great lady. I really love her a lot and her work. Oh, big yeah. admirer, big fan. Yeah. And that was a super yeah. fun summit, by the way. I really enjoyed being a part of that. I can't believe that it was last oh, spring already. Like I know. <laughs> yeah. It seems yeah, it seems like it was yesterday, but honestly. Oh no. I mean it seems like it was years ago. Years ago. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a weird, weird few months. <laughs> Time warp. Time warp. Right. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so you have an interesting pedigree, if you will, of herbs, herbs and herbal studies and medicine and family heritage of medicine and gardening. How, how, did, how did you find aromatherapy amidst all of that? Well, very good question. Um, do I start at the beginning? Start at the beginning. Always start at the, everything starts as a seed, right? Yeah, yeah. So I don't really ever kind of technically call myself an aromatherapist. I try to avoid using that word simply because I think that um, it's often kind of misunderstood, but I definitely use and go to aroma um, as well as, you know, in all of its forms, including essential oils and hydrosols and even just, uh, you know, you know, tea infusions. Um, and so aroma is a, a very large part of my clinical practice, which is definitely, um, you know, that of herbalism per se. So aromatherapy to me isn't even really a separate modality in my mind. It's, it's more aroma from plants being, um, another wonderful subset of tools that the herbalist can use to, um, you know, to really help support their clients. Um, but it's interesting. I, uh, you know, I guess. You know, I never really thought back, well, back when I was really, really young, I mean, I come from a, a family of medical doctors. So we've got, uh, you know, on my mother's side, uh, coming down from my, my great, great grandfather to my great, great grandfather, or wait, to my grandfather to, you know, going down and down, down all the way through to my uncle, um, all medical doctors. And I don't know if it was, um, you know, it wasn't ever suggested to me, but I had always had an interest in medicine, uh, even as a young child and maybe, uh, partly because of my own health uh, issues that I had to navigate as a teenager and into my early 20s. And, you know, I think a lot of herbalists um, maybe come to herbal medicine because of their own health problems, you know, and they oh, find yeah. this inc- incredible world of healing and um, uh, this incredible world of alternative options that they didn't ever really know were available to them. And because of that, you know, we could become very inspired to to dig deeper and then learn to help other people. 
Um, so, so maybe I was, you know, kind of, it was, it was a really wonderful storm of things that happened all at once for me to kind of take this path. And it started with, um, you know, I, I left Philadelphia where I was, I went to high school and uh, was very privileged to be able to jump ship and uh, move 3000 miles West to good old Eugene, Oregon, which, um, it's definitely changed a lot. Yeah, I mo- I moved there um, in 1997, um, and I I did my undergraduate at yeah a long time ago, and uh, and that was University of Oregon, uh, and I managed to get through <laughs> a wild time in Eugene. Uh, oh yeah, you probably um, my first bachelor's. Degree. Yeah, I was gonna say, and you probably experienced like the country fair and. You're aware of the like yep. hippie communes. Yep. They're still here. All of them. They're still communing. All of it. Yeah, <laughs> I I actually I back then I used to walk around Eugene barefoot just oh, because yeah. I could. Because you and, can. Yeah. yeah, from like one one neighborhood to the next, you know, it was um definitely a time in my life that I often refer to as my my barefoot revolution. Yeah. Um, but you know, whilst I was there, I was, uh, you know, studying at the university of Oregon and I actually went in as a psychology major, um, but very quickly kind of shifted gears to more, um, cultural anthropology and really specifically, uh, a subset of cultural anthropology, medical anthropology, which is really looking at specifically, you know, different cultural concepts of what, you know, health and disease and healing are across, you know, space Mm -hmm. and time and, and so I was, I really was quite fascinated. I became quite fascinated with this idea that, oh my gosh, you can use plants to, you know, yeah. to heal. Wow. I yeah. didn't, nobody ever told me this when I was growing up. I have, I come from a, a pharmaceutical medical family. Nobody ever said, hey, plants, by the way. Right. But if you <laughs> so, were able to go um, back to that, like five generations ago, that's what they were using. I mean, it's kind right. of mind blowing exactly. when you think about that. And here you are, like, reaching well, all the way back. <laughs> I know. It's really interesting, too, because my, my grandmother, before she passed away, um, you know, she did she did say to me at one point that my grandfather would have been very proud of me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that was really nice to hear because, of course, you know, coming from that more <laughs> orthodox family, the herbal yeah. medicine thing didn't make sense to them. They were like, that's quackery. What are you doing? You know, so yeah, you're a rebel. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it was really in Eugene where, uh, you know, bless it, I found uh, I found herbal medicine, and, um, you know, I I think there weren't back then. See, I graduated from the University of Oregon in two thousand and one, and back then there just wasn't um, nearly the amount of um, you know herb school, so to speak, right. that there are now. Um, yes. You know, and, and there, you know, the internet was like not full of information like it is now. And the things that I could find, the schools that I, I could find, although they seemed great, um, didn't really appeal to like the more academic side of my, um, you know, myself. And so I had at that time been doing an apprenticeship with an individual in Eugene and just kind of, you know, learning about, you know, how to make teas and decoctions and like, oh my gosh, I drank so many decoctions of like the most (laughs) like yellow dock. Yeah. Yellow dock's going to save my life. I'm just going to boil it and boil it and drink it. And it's like, ugh, no, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and and then you just have like, you know, like really intense bowel movements for like forever. (laughs) I mean, but it was, it was like, I mean, it was a really interesting time. 
<laughs> it's life changing. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, um, so this person that I was working with in Eugene, um, offered me the opportunity to actually go as a, an apprentice to uh, Scotland. And I thought, well, hey, I just graduated from uh, the University of Oregon. And I was like, well, I don't really, I don't want to be an academic anthropologist. So I'm really interested in this herbal medicine thing. Like maybe I'll just go and see where it lands, you know, and I was only supposed to be there for about six weeks. Um, <laughs> but in in the process, uh, I found the Scottish School of Herbal Medicine, and uh, it which which was under the umbrella of the University of Wales. And I applied, and uh, after a really grueling interview um, with my teacher and mentor Keith Robertson, um, they finally said yes, you can come. Oh yeah! And so that was um, instead of being there for you know six weeks, I ended up being in Scotland for seven years. Well, almost wow. eight years, actually. Wow. Um, yeah, doing a four-year degree there. And um, and I spent a couple years in full-time clinical practice afterward. So that's where, setting the stage, yeah. um, I really <laughs> I really found aromatherapy. I, I really found, um, you know, when the, the training that I had, you know, over this four-year degree program was really, you know, not just about using herbs. It was about all of the tools that we could have in our tool belt. And so of course, essential oils were a part of that. Um, And, you know, every herbalist that graduated out of that program um, also had aromatherapy knowledge, because again, it was this looking at these very specialized preparations from plants that were going to be just as useful um, and have their time and place. And so we did internal use, we did external use, um, you know, and so, so that's kind of where I, I, I kind of dipped in, I suppose. And, the, and they were just tools. Yeah. And then it was really interesting because then I moved back to, after, you know, various and sundry events, um, I, I moved back to the United States and was working on figuring out how to set up clinical practice here in the U S the way that I was trained to practice over in the UK, <laughs> but without crossing the boundaries of, you know, the laws that exist here within the United States. And so yeah. that was a fun process, maybe another podcast, but, <laughs> right. um, yeah. but what was interesting is that I immediately started to really get this sense that there was this funny chasm between you know, the herbal medicine community, if I can put us all in a box for a second, and then the aromatherapy community, if I could put them all in a box for a second. And so there, and, and on one side, the herbalists are going, look at all these crazy aromatherapists and all the aromatherapists are kind of ignoring the herbalists. And there's just not a lot of, it just seemed very separate. And then, um, and then I started really listening to some of the dogma um, on both sides about Mm -hmm. essential oils. And I thought it was just fascinating because I hadn't really, I hadn't really used them. I hadn't really needed them. Um, you know, in my, you know, as I was setting a practice, it wasn't like, oh, I'm missing my essential oils. I need to have them by me. Right. Um, but you know, I definitely, I definitely would call on them if, if needed. And I didn't feel like I had any dogma about it. So it was really fascinating the yeah. cultural shift, if I can call it from, from the way that I was trained to integrate essential oils and aroma from plants into my, my clinical rationale as an herbalist versus what I came across, you know, yeah. here in, in the United States. So yeah. we've had, it's been a really weird history. I've thought, I mean, just watching as I've been watching it evolve, it's as if herbalists, early herbalists here in America, early meaning like, you know, seventies, eighties, nineties, you know, early, a couple, 
couple decades ago, embraced the plants, but eschewed the science. And somehow, because the distillation process looks somewhat sciencey, I think that might be why essential oils and aromatherapy got separated. And I've, I mean, I've heard herbalists talk about how they love the aroma and the volatile oils of the plants, but they don't do essential oils. And they're like yeah. very ooh, about it. And then on the aroma side, therapy side of things, it seems like it's, you know, if you're not in America, the older language seemed to me like if you're not doing the essential oils, then you're not having the pure essence of the plant. There's nothing else in the plant that's worthy of attention. Yeah. It was like a weird elitism and it, it was nonsensical <laughs> to me. Yeah. 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 Well, and I think too, you know, some of the, um, some of what I picked up on just, you know, listening, I could say, I'd say listening in quotation marks because a lot of this, you know, is being observed online on, you know, social yeah. media platforms, et cetera. And, you know, people expressing their opinions in that format, which is always not necessarily clear, yeah. but, um, <laughs> I think that a lot of there's a lot of um, concern from the herbal medicine community surrounding, uh, you know, some of the, you know, what what to, to us is very unsafe practices um, yeah. that are coming through, you know, people who are taking these uh, proprietary education courses and, uh, you know, selling essential oils for MLMs and then. Yeah you know, doing really ridiculous things like suggesting people put essential oils in their water. Yeah. Um, and then on, you know, and so there's a lot of, I think a lot of concern over safety um, that is coming from the herbal medicine community. I also think that there's issues surrounding sustainability and a, a yeah. recognition of the fact that essential oils are incredibly powerful and potent. Um, but there is, like you said, so much more to a whole plant than yeah. just its volatile oil and that, you know, we're looking at the use of these species um, to, for, for support and for healing uh, at a much more broad spectrum kind of fashion. And so, so we, we have this, I, you know, what I'm observing is that that's the kind of perspective on one side and then moving over to, um, you know, what I'm witnessing kind of more on the aromatherapy side is, um, you know, and I don't want to offend anyone, but I probably will. It's in my I nature. <laughs> I, I, I just feel like, um, you know, there is, there is like the craze piece, right. Where yeah. there's a lot of really nonsensical, unsafe things happening oh, out yeah. there using essential oils in ways that are just absolutely ridiculous and, uh, you know, causing harm. Yeah. Um, but then there's also, you know, I think that the, the sustainability piece is really, really huge. And, yeah. you know, there's all kinds of issues that come with that, you know, adulteration and, uh, you know, looking at, um, you know, farming practices and, and yeah. you know, the, the, the poor folks who are doing all of the harvesting. Yeah. And so, you know, but I, I think that from the, the one of the, the at, to the fault of the aromatherapy community that they're really holding on to... Um, you know, and in a lot of ways, I do believe that they are holding on to, you know, research into the into the use of essential oils or into the pharmacology of essential oils. Um, that is, you know, and they're clinging to it very yeah. tightly as some sort of justification for the fact that essential oils are, yeah. um, you know, the thing. And I think that, you know, in, on both sides of the fence, and this is actually interesting because I'm in the process of teaching a four-part webinar series right yeah. now for the AHG on scientific research. 
I think on both sides of the fence, um, there's really poor quality research available, um, you know, to date that can really support some of the claims that are coming from the aromatherapy community. Mm -hmm. And what's really interesting is that it's often devoid of an understanding of the the whole plant's traditional use. Yeah. Um, and so, and, and not only that, there's also issues surrounding, you know, appropriation of knowledge from other cultures. I mean, this is a big mm -hmm. deal, I think, right now with frankincense, um, as well as with sandalwood. Uh, you know, we have this incredible over-harvesting happening and yeah. we have cultures that are losing their, their traditions because those medicines are no longer available to them. And so I think it's really layered. There's like, you know, there's yeah. so much and there's dogma on both sides. Oh, and yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a really, really interesting terrain. It is. It really is. I love the way that you approach it. So you wrote The Family Guide to Aromatherapy. How, I did. I'm going to ask you in a minute how you got the idea and decided to do that. But I am going to say before we get there, I loved the fact that you narrowed it down to a set of essential oils that range from really, I'm going to say dirt cheap. Some, like, you know, some of them are really like the wonderful cheap ones that are so powerful up through some ones that are a little bit more expensive, but not ridiculously so. And then you did a great job of helping me, the reader, understand which ones and how to use them for the various different age groups and, you know, places, times in life. And mm -hmm. that all of your recipes, I mean, even the ones where you can use the, mo the most potent essential oils are gentle. They're not like 50 drops of essential oils for, a, you know, one application. They're, you know, you're using a light amount and it's potent. And I, I really appreciated yes. that. It's really a an, uh, respect for the sustainability aspect of them and recognizing well, the potency. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I think that that's, I mean, there's so much that I could say about aroma and the power of aroma that oh, goes gosh. beyond just the physical body. Um, and, you know, I use aroma specifically more so for um, supporting the psyche. And yeah. that's a big piece in my clinical practice, you know, really helping, um, you know, fo folks who are trying to connect what's going on with their bodies to a larger picture of what's going on in their lives. And oftentimes there, we do have to navigate these deeper emotional places yeah. and aroma can be a very powerful vehicle for that. Um, so so, but I did, I, I was, you know, I was, I didn't come to me. I was approached by uh, other publishers say, Hey, you know, um, we know that you're an avid distiller. So I do, I do distill my own essential oils. I do grow my own herbs and, uh, I love making hydrosols. Hydrosols are wonderful. So I we should them. talk about those. Oh God. Yeah. But, um, so they're like, you know, we know that you're kind of out there and you seem to have a bit of a following. Do you want to write a book? And I said, well, sure. You know, I should probably, give it a go. And the reason why I definitely said yes was because I thought, ah, this is a point, an opportunity for an herbalist like myself, who has an appreciation for the potency and effectiveness of essential oils to write a common sense guide. Yes. Um, that's coming from a place as using these really powerful tools as tools. Yeah. Uh, not as the end all be all, not as the cure all, not yeah. as any of the wild things that some people have said about them, but, yeah. but also in a, in a being able to 
um, you know, having the skill set to be able to kind of go through all of the safety research, you know, and um, really translate some of the work of, uh, you know, folks like Robert Tisserand, for example, who oh, yeah. is, you know, um, he's really just uh, a wonderful researcher and has really, really nailed down, or, you know, essential oil safety so well. Um, and, you know, to make these things, to distill them down and make them a little bit more digestible for, you know, even just my clients who are like, hey, I want to... I want to use essential oils. Like, what do I do? So the premise of that whole book is really looking at safety and, you know, using these, uh, these substances topically. So mm -hmm. this is not putting them in your water. This is not, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, ma making things with them and sticking them in holes in your body. This is literally just, you know, putting, putting them on the skin or diffusing them in the air. Um, and starting very simply because of course they are very powerful and, you know, and, and I think that what's what's fascinating, and I think a lot of people don't know this, is that, you know, not all essential oils are appropriate for all age groups, right. just as, you know, not all dilution ratios are appropriate for all age groups. Yeah. So, you know, you're, you're not going to use the same essential oils on a robust, healthy adult male that you would use on, a, you know, a young child right. or someone who's you know elderly or ill. Um, and so, and this is because th this is what the, you know, the essential oil safety community has really emphasized. And so I was able to kind of take, um, opinions from across the board, uh, in that community from different publications and, and books and things and, and really kind of consolidate that information into one place. Um, so, so that's kind of what brought me to writing that book. Yeah. I, I loved it. I mean, I loved, I loved your approach and I loved the way that you, did a wonderful job of explaining in very clear language that wasn't like all weird and super sciencey, but yet clearly you understood the science, the whys of why are these essential oils good for this group? Why do you want to go with a lighter, you know, um, uh, dilution ratio for this group or for that group? Where what's the human development that's happening? for this potential individual at this age. And the, I really appreciated that. Understanding just the basics of the whys makes it so much easier to make a good choice. I agree. And to, you know, to, for all of our sakes, for herbalists yeah. and aromatherapists, for us to continue to, you know, have integrity in our work and yeah. also to not be seen as like an unsafe, you know, unsafe profession. Right. You know, I think yeah. that, we have to be really careful about, um, you know, the, the reputation of our work. And so, mm -hmm. yes. you know, I think, you know, having in, approaching I, and the same with, you know, herbs, it's approaching things, you know, uh, judiciously and cautiously um, and from an educated place that we can, we can make really great decisions for our clients, for ourselves, for our family members, um, you know, and, and I, you know, just, Stay away from like wild claims and lines in the yes. sand. That's that's my yes. suggestion. You know, if, if someone's making a wild claim about something, like definitely question it because yeah. my goodness <laughs> gracious. So true. Yeah. yeah, so very, very true. Are you looking for custom apparel for your office, your team, or your group? AceHighGraphics.com can help you. They can help you design your apparel and get you the best price on it. They will also give you um, a great quote so you'll know exactly what you're going to pay for. Visit them at acehighgraphics.com. Okay, so I'm going to roll this back a little bit. You distill your own essential oils? 
I do. Yeah, seriously. I do. Tell me a little about that because that sounds like that would be super fun. But the idea of doing it, I'm like, how many, how many volumes? How much? I'd have to have a giant farm. How do you do this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I don't get many sleeps or naps. <laughs> Um, yeah, so so this is really interesting. And I think, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, distilling has done for me um, has, well, many things, and I would love to talk about that more. Um, but just to answer your question, you know, I think one of the things that I learned very quickly and distilling my own essential oils and my own hydrosols really was a, a very, very deep appreciation for the sheer quantity of plant material that is required yeah. uh, in order for um, in order for you to produce a very small amount of essential oil. Yes. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think because of that and because of my ongoing work with distillation, I definitely feel um, really overwhelmed when I go into a, a store and I yes. see all these essential oils just oh, sitting on the shelf so and bottles. these yeah. And I think about the the land mass and I think about the, you know, the agricultural practices that, you know, had to happen in order for all of that plant, but the right. people involved, the resources, you know, and it, it's almost oh, yeah. nauseating yeah. Um, when you're, when you see it and you, and you start to distill on your own, but you know, mm -hmm. you don't have to, you don't have to have a huge farm to start distilling your own, um, you know, aromatics. It's, you know, you do need the larger the still, the more plant material, right. the more essential oil you're going to get. I mean, that's just yeah. the physics of it all. But um, I do think that, you know, every herbalist ought to start distilling. Um, and there's a really, it's a really wonderful and sacred way to um, really connect with the life force of the plants that we have grown to know and love. And so, you know, to me, distillation has become this uh, opportunity. It creates this wonderful opportunity. Uh, I would even say spiritual opportunity to connect with yes. uh, the plants that are that I grow um, and that I use in clinic, um, yeah. and that I, you know, it's like an ongoing relationship building um, practice. So, so yeah. did your love of hydrosols come from the dis distillation process and learning to do that, or did it come from your training in in England and because I know they use a lot of hydrosols and that yeah you know, there that I know that's a very integrated part of like life not even just medicine just life they yeah. are where did that where'd you get that where'd you find that yeah yeah so the distillation um I actually did it not I I was never introduced to distillation over in Scotland other than okay. you know distilling booze um, right. <laughs> the finest whiskeys on the planet. Um, yeah. but you know, I didn't, I, it wasn't something that, you know, even in my, in my training as, uh, you know, my, my undergraduate degree there, you know, I, I was never taught how to distill. Um, I was taught practical, other practical pharmacy techniques, but that was definitely one that, that was never taught to us. Um, and so it really wasn't until, um, I was taking a course with, uh, two of my, my dear friends and teachers, uh, Kathy Skipper and Florian Berkmayer of Aromanosis. And um, they're doing some amazing work uh, out of New Mexico. And um, I was able to attend a two-day class with them that, you know, their their work with aroma and psyche is profound and has changed my, my life and my clinical practice in, in really important ways. 
And, um, you know, during that process, um, it was really, it became clear to me that I really needed to start to distill and distillation has started popping up pretty, you know, pretty popularly here in the United States. And so I was able to, um, you know, purchase my first um, 20 liter copper Alembic still. Um, gosh, I've had it now for about four years, I think. Uh-huh. Uh, I call her Big Mama. Yes. And um, <laughs> she's actually not that big if you think about the size of stills that you can get out there. But I, I was fortunate enough and privileged enough to be able to to purchase that equipment and just really started learning on my own. Um nice. As well as reading some um, the, the work of Anne Harmon, um, she has a wonderful book out, Harvest to Hydrosol, which was really very helpful for like the practicalities of what I was trying to do. And um, uh, Jill Mulvaney out of New Zealand also has a wealth of resources on her website about getting started with distillation and you know simple things like how do you clean your still and how are yes. you hooking up the pumps and. Yeah. So, but a lot of the actual love of hydrosols for me really came out of my own, you know, geeking out on distilling. And um, one of the things that I started to do is, you know, really start to, I started to bring in uh, much more of a spiritual practice to the distillation than um, it, it, it was not a mechanical thing. What was happening wasn't a mechanical thing. Right. And one of the one of the the things that was taught to me, or one of the things that I learned or appreciate from the work of uh, Kathy and Florian at Aromanosis, um, they talk about the aroma of the plant being the soul of the plant, mm-hmm. and these are these molecules of communication is what they refer to them as. And yeah. you know, when I'm distilling, it 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 sits with me because in many ways, uh, you know, you're sitting there for a very long period of time. It's not like you can turn it on and walk away, right? So right. you're you're with this process from start to finish. And you are, in in essence, um, you know, beckoning the soul of the plant to reveal itself. And to me, that requires some sort of sacred space. And so I started bringing in, uh, you know, different elements that, um, you know, kind of suit my spiritual practice. So, you know, I'd bring in found feathers from my from my property. I'd be, you know, bringing in different stones, um, you know, different, uh, you know, kind of rocks and, you know, different plants. And um, and then I would also bring in the tarot. Nice. And I would sit there because you've got, you know, you've got yeah. five, six hours with a 20 liter still. You're going to be right. sitting there for five hours. You might as well do something, right? And right. so I often do a lot of research into the folklore of the plant and, you know, to, you know, kind of connecting some of the symbology of the the feathers that I've chosen with the, um, you know, with the plant itself that I'm distilling nice. and its folklore and then the tarot and it all comes out. And so that by the end of this amazing alchemical process that is taking place, all of this intentionality has been put into this hydrosol. And to me, yeah. it, it is just vibrating with intention. And it's that that kind of medicine making that just makes so much joy in my heart. And to be able to share that with other people as well is is pretty fantastic. And so I think about hydrosols and what I love about them is that to me, it's, it's souls in the water. This yeah. is like this is definitely, you know, from an alchemical standpoint, it's definitely, they're very special preparations. So, yeah, I, yeah, I love hydrosols. I mean, I love, I love the accessibility of them and I love that when I use them, it's this as if they wash over you, you just, you feel, you feel it just wash over and through you. Nothing's, you know, like essential oils are wonderful, but they kind of are a bit of a punch sometimes, you know? Oh they're, yeah. They're oh, they're yeah. they're not they're not waiting. They're just going to let you know. Whereas the hydrosols are gentle and moving 
And yes. it's it's like the ocean washing over the sand and moving it. Just a little yes, bit. Yes, so that's a lovely that's a lovely thought that gave me chills. <laughs> well, and it's true. I mean, and and as well that you know the for a perfect example of this is uh, you know a eucalyptus. Uh, so eucalyptus mm. globulus. This is the blue gum eucalyptus, which has got some safety issues as an essential oil. Yeah. Uh, I would I would that I would argue are not the same as the hydrosol. Right. But, you know, when you're actually, when you, when you smell a eucalyptus um, globulus essential oil from, you know, you know, from just anywhere off the shelf, it's, I mean, it's like, whoa, yeah. you know, it's very intense. It can make your eyes water. It's like mm-hmm. a lot, you know, yeah. but then when you, when you smell the hydrosol, uh, it's a completely different, it's a completely yeah. different experience. Like you mentioned, it's not such yeah. a punch. It's, it's watery. It's softer. It's, um, it's almost kinder in its yes. approach. Um, and I oftentimes too, with my hydrosols, like I won't separate the essential oil out. A lot of people do that. Um, sometimes yeah. I do, depending on what I'm distilling. So I also distill in, in glass. Um, I have a glass setup that I use as well, specifically for essential oil distillation. Um, and you know, I will pull off, uh, like the most yeah. recent distillation I did is, um, rose geranium. So I've got this wonderful bottle of rose geranium essential Ooh. oil now, yeah. which I, which I used, you know, then yeah. to blend for my clients. Um, yeah. but, uh, yeah, the, the eucalyptus is a great example of like hydrosol versus essential oil. And, uh, it's just a way different, yeah, it's a way different experience. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I've been thinking about it distilling but oh yeah I, have, I haven't i haven't talked patrick into it yet are you kidding uh, i have been proactively getting yeah. you to buy a still for years yeah but you wanted to use it for whiskey can you use the same still for both could, could that's you? a really good question i technically no technically same. no um and the part so? of that is you know, they, they say, you know, that it's best recommended that if you, you know, are going to do, um, if you're going to do alcohol distillation, that you have a separate unit that you dedicate to that purpose. And that if you're going to distill aroma from plants, um, I think that part of the rationale there is that, you know, you want to just keep, you need to keep everything really clean and organized when you're distilling and you don't want to have too much crossover of purpose. It's a tool that you dedicate to one particular but I mean, you know, even though it's completely not legal, I will yeah. say that yes, yes. there's this really wonderful connection between distilling aromatic alcohols, right? So yeah. this is the creating spirits and this is our gins yeah. and our absinths and, uh, you know, things like that. And so it's, it's, it is a kind of combo package there. Yeah. Um, well, and the, say. And, and the prices of stills have, I mean, dramatically gone down. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. It's it's not that and that entry point isn't so high as much. Well, now, we're not buying a 20 liter copper bad boy like, you know, your big yeah. mama. But <laughs> so. But it's yeah. thanks it's thanks to our hand distillers and our hand hydrosol makers, essential oil and hydrosol distillers that that that's even happened because that's been I've been watching that become a huge wave over the last 5 years or so. I mean, yeah, it, I'm well, sure it started long yeah. before that, but wow. <laughs> well, and what a wonderful way to bridge the bridge the gap between you know herbalism and aromatherapy, if we yes. can call them separate as they are here. I think that yeah. more and more herbalists now are turning to 
uh, and are very attracted by this, you know, the, the, not only the practicality of working with aromatics like this and, but also the beauty of it and the alchemical process, this transformation. I mean, distillation is not, you're not just transforming plant material. You're actually also transforming yourself, you know? And so it is, um, I, I can, you know, to me, it's like, I'm, I'm like so deeply in love with it. Um, and I, you know, I've got some really cool projects in the works with, uh, some of my, my dear friends, um, my friend Ash at, uh, Ritual Botanica, her and I have got some good old witchy sister Bruin projects going on to, you know, maybe help inspire some of this work and others, um, you know, as well, but, you know, my hat goes off to some of the pioneers, uh, like Jeannie Rose and Anne Harmon, yeah. um, you know, who have really paved the way for distillation, yeah. uh, here in the United States for, you know, the aromatherapy community and obviously now the herbalism community as well. I mean, that I stand on the shoulders of, of really amazing women who uh, yeah. have really brought this art forward for everyone. So, yeah, I am. Yeah. I'm going to say to everybody, I'm really thankful that you're helping bridge that gap and helping pull the two modalities back together because it feels to me, it's always felt a little bit like this strange rent, like a, like a, piece of cloth that's got a rip in it for no apparent reason and it needs to be pulled back and maybe the rip was actually a buttonhole and we needed it for a while but we don't need them to be separate anymore i think i think that's part of the changes that have been happening throughout 2020 and into 2021 is this psychological shift that needs to happen and our medicine and our herbal medicines need to reflect that as well i mean yeah the aroma yeah. really is important to the psychological. It theory. is. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think I'll just touch real quickly on the fact that I think that, you know, herbalists have a lot to learn from aromatherapists and mm-hmm. I think aromatherapists have a lot to learn from herbalists. And yes. it's, you know, I think that having, um, you know, like non-dogmatic, you know, collaborative discussions about aroma and using aroma this way and approaching the plants this way, it can be really beneficial for both groups of, of people. Um, because I think that down, you know, at the, at the base of it all, we have a lot more in common than we do, uh, you know, differences. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I do think one of the, one of the things I'll say, you know, especially to, um, you know, especially to all of the, the herbalists out there listening that, you know, it's very difficult for me in the way that I practice and the way that I work with herbs to ignore or to set aside the kind of emotional or, or psyche piece of what's going on for my clients. It's, it is, it is, it is inextractable. They, they are so woven together so tightly. Mm -hmm. Um, and there is this constant ebb and flow between psyche and body, psyche and body. And we have these amazing tools. Do you know, this is, this is where I'm going to totally geek out for a second if I can. Totally. Yeah, I'm there. <laughs> um, so, so our sense of aroma, right? Our sense of mm-hmm. smell, our, our oral sense of olfactory sense, right? Um, is, you know, is actually taken into the brain by a cranial nerve, the olfactory nerve, which is one of 12 cranial nerves. Each of the cranial nerves uh, have both a sensory and motor function, except for our olfactory nerve. It only has a sensory function. That's and unlike... Nice. And unlike information coming into the brain from the nervous system and the cranial nerves, 
The olfactory nerve goes straight into the centers of memory and emotion without being processed first. And there is something that they refer to in, um, you know, in the physiology of olfaction and those who study these things called the hedonic response. And this is this, this is a reflex response. This is where we have olfactory information going straight into our centers of memory and emotion. And so before we even can, you know, to decipher what we're smelling, we have already had an emotional reaction to it and logged a memory. It goes, it goes, it goes straight in. Yeah. There is no other, there's no other sense that does this. And so aroma's impact on our emotional, in our emotional realm is instantaneous. It is instantaneous. It is unfiltered. And so I have this class that I teach on this actually called Aroma Psyche and Body. And I I take students through this whole, um, you know, really diving into the physiology of why, uh, you know, aroma can be so powerful for helping to navigate uh, you know, emotional terrain for a client. Um, and so, so I think, you know, and it's of course inspired by, uh, you know, my work with, uh, aromanosis, Kathy and Florian, I, I really have found this to be an inextractable part of my, of my practice now and that we shouldn't, you know, it doesn't have to be essential oils. We're talking about aroma. We can, yes. we can be talking about tea rituals where you just mm-hmm. have your, yourself or your, 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 your kid or your, you know, client just, really spending some time really mm-hmm. smelling the tea um, mm-hmm. and allowing that, you know, to go in. And when we, we do that, when we take the time to really allow aroma to flow and we're conscious of what we're, we're smelling, we're conscious of the emotions that we're trying to instill with the set, mm-hmm. this sense of smell and the, and the memory that we're trying to create with it. You can, you can return to that smell time mm-hmm. and time again in the future to help yes. achieve those same emotional and memory, you know, goals. And so yeah. it's a really wonderful way of kind of um, using plants to help like create new narratives is yes. what I talk about, you know? Yeah. So we, we have these emotional and psyche narratives that we just go on and on and on in our heads and they're, they're affecting our, our health and well being. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. we need to, we need to change that narrative and aroma can be a really powerful tool to help do that. So it's, yeah, it's like a way to short circuit the original story and then install a new program. Yeah. You could totally think of it that way. Yeah. You could. Yes. Yeah. And you know, the benefit of essential oils in that in this way, you know, is that they're they're access they're easily accessible. They're not necessarily cheap all the time, right. but they're very easy to use. You just have yes. to very quickly, you know, let's say you're you're at the office and, you know, you've had, uh, you know, you're dealing with a whole bunch of trauma. You've got some issues, something happened at work. It's like totally triggered you. You can go to the bathroom with your little bottle of essential oil and sit with the stall door closed and just spend a little time breathing just, it in and yeah. giving yourself, you know, that, that touchstone, that grounding, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that is yeah. easier for people to do than being like, okay, I'm having an emotional event. I need to go make myself a cup of tea. Right. Great. We should should all, we should all do that. But really, is that practical in that moment? Maybe not. Yeah. But being able to just whip out a bottle of essential oil real quick, you know. Oh yeah. So, so that, that too, I think is another thing I didn't, I wasn't able to really touch on much in my book. Um, But I think the quality is really, really important. Mm -hmm. Um, I will, I will mention that, you know, not all essential oil brands have um, the same quality. A lot of yes. essential oil brands are all pulling from the same supply chain. There are a lot of issues with adulteration in the supply chain. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is adulteration being that 
Um, they're either, you know, um, chemically extending components of particular essential oils to make batches bigger. Um, sometimes you're getting adulteration with just, you know, different components from different oils being put together and being sold as an essential oil. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of dodgy stuff happening in that regard. Um, and it's really, you know, we have a lot of really wonderful distillers here in the United States who are also herb farmers, um, Mm -hmm. that we should be supporting with our dollars, you know? So I really think that if you're interested in using, um, you know, essential oils that you, you know, we, that we start in the United States that we start focusing on, okay, who's growing and distilling here in the U S let's start there. Yeah. Um, and you know, a little goes a long way. So maybe, you know, you want to get a beautiful bottle of, of, of blue chamomile essential oil and it's going to be expensive, but you can Jeez. use it for a really long time. Yeah. It's, you know? just, it's just a drop at a time, not 10, 20, 30 drops at a time. Yeah. You know, or you, even if, you know, if you're just using just it for, you know, emotional it. support, just, yeah. a, just a whiff at a time. Yeah. Put the, put the bottle back together. So, yeah. yeah. I love, yeah. I love your approach. I love the fact that you integrate aromatherapy and herbalism so powerfully and so elegantly and so practically. I mean, that's feet on the ground. I love it. Yeah, thanks. I love it too. So how can people get a hold of you, your book, where are you at, all the good stuff? Yeah. So um, let's see. You can find everything you need to know about me uh, at SovereigntyHerbs.com. You can also follow me on social media at Sovereignty Herbs on Facebook and Instagram. You can also follow me in my personal account at The Medicine Gardener, and that's on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, my book, The Family Guide to Aromatherapy, A Safe Approach for Using Essential Oils in a Holistic Home, is available for sale on my website at SovereigntyHerbs.com backslash shop. Um, and you can buy it on Amazon, but... It's sometimes better to buy from authors directly because it works ad- out better for them. We advocate yeah. that. So yeah. we, we definitely. And I sign everyone. Everyone who buys my book from my website gets a signed copy. Ooh, so nice. um, yeah. Yeah. So there's that. And let's see. I guess if you're ever interested in, you know, actually booking a session with me, I do see, you know, clients long distance. Um, and I have a wonderful um 15-minute free sessions available for people to kind of just meet me face-to-face, see if working together is going to work out for them. Um, And so you can also find that uh, information at SovereigntyHerbs.com. Beautiful. We will make sure all those links are in the show notes. And as always, put an herb on it. Herb on it. The statements made about herbs and products on this podcast have not been evaluated by the United States Food and Drug Administration, FDA, and are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. All information provided on this podcast or any affiliated websites is for informational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for advice from your physician or other healthcare professional. You should not use the information on this podcast and its affiliated websites for a diagnosis or treatment of any health problem. Always consult with a healthcare professional before starting any new vitamins, supplements, diet, or exercise program before taking any medication. Or if you have or suspect you might have a health problem, any testimonials, questions, or case studies are based on individual results and do not constitute a guarantee that you will achieve the same results.